Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. I don't speak much on holidays, and so I consider it a privilege to speak to you on this Palm Sunday. And I have been given a unique assignment, something that I have never attempted to do in this particular setting of a Sunday morning service. But for uh, many weeks now, I have felt the Lord prompt me to speak to you from a title that my dad, the bishop, preached from when I was very young. And I have never attempted to do this before. And so in preparation, I looked for his outline. We have many of those still, very thankfully. And in my mind, I could see it. I could see the big purple letters with the title. I could see his cryptic handwriting in my mind. But I could not find it. And so I trust the Lord that he didn't want me to find it. And so I am not claiming that this message is his. But I want to give credit where credit is due that this title, this thought is most certainly his and left an incredible impression on my life, as you can imagine. And so today, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to be reading verses 11 through 26, probably not the passage that you are expecting in this moment. Verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Verse 15, now at the feast, the Passover, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they handed him over because of envy. Even evil Pilate knew something was amiss with what was going on with Jesus. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. 
And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And so this morning, with the help of the Lord on this Palm Sunday, 2022, I want to preach to you from this thought of Bishop Dad's, a thief or a savior. A thief or a savior. Many of us this morning are familiar with the text in which we find the first Palm Sunday. It is vital that we understand the timeline of those events in order for us to fully understand the context of the message this morning. And so today we're going to go backwards and we're going to begin with the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And so this morning I want us to consider John's account in chapter 12 of his gospel because John makes us to know that it is immediately after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead that the chief priests and the Pharisees plot to kill Jesus. Jesus was just too powerful. His influence was exploded after this latest miracle of raising someone from the dead. And so because of this imminent threat to Jesus' life, to ensure that he would in fact die on the day he was supposed to, which was the Passover, Jesus went with his disciples to a city called Ephraim. It was out in the country. It was near the wilderness, so to speak. Jesus was trying to be off the grid for a few days. And so it's very significant to us. What would Jesus do next? At what point does Jesus decide to take the risk and go back to Jerusalem? Where is Jesus going to come out of hiding in order to begin the last week of his earthly life. The countdown was about to begin. The plan of heaven since Adam's fall in Eden was about to be set in motion. Jesus would fulfill the promise made to Eve that day very long ago that she would, in fact, be avenged. Speaking to Satan, God had declared, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, meaning Satan, will bruise your head, Eve, but you will bruise his heel. God had guaranteed Eve that her failure was not the end of her story. Amen. Through you, Eve, sin came into the world, but girl, that answer to that sin problem is going to come from you someday. And so John begins the Passion Week at the home of a family very dear to Jesus, the home of Lazarus and his sisters. And the Passover, John tells us specifically, is just six days away. And so it's on this day that we read of Mary's worship, how she poured expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. He, she wiped his feet with her long hair. And while some had criticized the waste that such an extravagant expression of worship would have represented, Jesus was quick to identify that Mary's offering was symbolic of his soon death, that she was in fact preparing him with her worship for his burial because Jesus knew that his death was less than a week away. And so the Bible lets us know 
in very specific terms that there was a crowd gathered at the home of these dear friends of Jesus. A crowd that came for the purpose of not just seeing Jesus, but seeing the man who had been dead for three days, a man named Lazarus. John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And so from the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany, John takes us to Jesus' next move to come back to Jerusalem. And here we find the Palm Palm Sunday story. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches out of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that he had done these things to him. Therefore, the people, please pay attention here, who were with him, When he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they had heard that he had done this sign. You see, the crowd that gathered to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem was comprised of those who had witnessed Lazarus' resurrection and those who had also visited to verify that what they had heard had actually happened. Those people whose enthusiastic praises of Hosanna were fulfilling prophecy and confirming that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Though he was a lowly carpenter from Nazareth, his miracles, his most recent miracle, had confirmed that he was in fact the one that they had been waiting for, the one they had heard about for many generations. And so when they declare, Hosanna, They were saying to Jesus, save us now. They were inviting him to be their savior. The crowd chose Jesus on that Palm Sunday. The palm branches symbolized his goodness and his victory. One commentator explained the scene this way. In biblical times, it was common for kings or important people to arrive by a procession riding on a donkey. The donkey symbolized peace, so those who chose to ride them showed that they came with peaceful intentions. And this was yet another sign that Jesus was the fulfillment of what Isaiah said he would be. He was the prince of peace. And so what I find so compelling for us to understand this morning is that through the specificity of the gospel writers, we are made to understand that the crowd that gathered at Lazarus' house to witness this miracle and the crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem with their worship was also a part of the crowd 
that would demand Jesus' execution just a few days later. It seems incomprehensible, but it is the tragic truth that the gospel writers wanted us to understand, a truth that you and I might relate to a little more closely than we realize. This morning, we began with the account of Pilate trying to release Jesus because Pilate believed in Jesus' innocence. Pilate was a godless man. History tells us that. He was a Roman. He had very little interest in Jewish culture and law. But Rome's main concern in a situation like Jesus found himself in was keeping the peace in times of Jewish unrest. They just didn't want to deal with the trouble that someone like Jesus would create. Those who plotted against Jesus were counting on this very fact that Rome would be indifferent to an illegal trial with false accusations against an innocent man. And so Pilate's authority gave him in that moment the power of life and death. Pilate would determine the fate of the one who had proven himself recently to be both the resurrection and the life. And so because of this imminent holiday of Passover, Pilate had hoped to set Jesus free, as was Rome's custom at the time of this Jewish holiday. Surely Pilate must have thought, these Jews will choose Jesus in this scenario. Because before them, their alternative was a well-known criminal named Barabbas. John describes this infamous second choice before the Jews as a notorious prisoner. The crowd knew exactly who Barabbas was when he was brought in front of them. He was not some nameless crook. They knew who he was. His crimes were known for he was a thief. And of all the things to be known as, a thief is not one of them. Many large families, in in my perspective, have a thief among them, at least in a family of all girls. As was the case for the Pasley girl tribe. The guilty party is not the one that led worship. That's all I'm going to tell you. You would never do that, Kate. Never. But she knows of whom I speak. It is because of this sibling that from a young child, I knew what the word kleptomaniac meant. (laughs) And you can guess why. For my dad and his amazing vocabulary called her a klepto on a regular basis because there would be random searches of her room only to find our possessions stashed in corners. I believe she has been delivered, I I think. I cannot verify. (laughs) But to be labeled a thief, a klepto, (laughs) is to be labeled one undeserving of trust. One you cannot put your confidence in. And what I remember clearly from my dad's sermon growing up was this point that he made that most likely in the crowd that day 
some of Barabbas' victims were present. There were probably people there from whom he had stolen. He had taken from their families. He may have even assaulted them. We know he was a violent man. And yet it was Barabbas that they chose that day. They did not call for Jesus' release, the one many had recently known to give life when there was death. The crowd chose one who took life instead of the one who gave it. And interestingly, Mark and Luke give us more information than John does about Barabbas in that they tell us that Barabbas was a part of an insurrection a failed attempt to overthrow Rome. And if I had preached this message a few years ago, I would have been more inclined to explain to you what an insurrection is. But sadly, as Americans, we are very familiar with the term. Mark chapter 15, verse 7, And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Luke says, and he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And so, my friends, this morning, I want to make sure we understand that Barabbas was not just a petty thief. He was a murderer. One who attempted to overthrow Rome. He was, in fact, a would-be savior of the Jews. The profound irony, I'm so burdened, to share with us this morning is that Barabbas attempted what the Jews had expected and wanted Jesus to do for them. And so, as I begin my conclusion today, I believe that there are two applications for us in this story that many of us know well. The first is a question of salvation, that all of us must choose, as the crowd did that day, between a thief or a savior. In John 11, Jesus makes clear that he is the good shepherd came to lay down his life for the sheep. And that's why Jesus had to die on the Passover. The people who were in Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday were selecting that very day the lambs that they would sacrifice later that week in order to cover their sin. And what they didn't know was that when they waved those palm branches and they sang praises of Hosanna, save us now, Jesus, they had chosen him that day as their savior. They had identified him as the perfect lamb of God. Jesus said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and that is exactly why Jesus came to Jerusalem that day. His complete care and desire for us as the good shepherd is only possible if we become his sheep. We must allow Jesus to shepherd us. And so, my friends, if you haven't chosen him yet today, today is a great day for you to choose a savior instead of a thief. You can do that by repenting of your sins You can do that by being filled with his spirit as you speak in tongues. And you can have that experience of a savior as the name of Jesus 
is called out over your name in baptism. Have you had that experience? Anybody witness? It's the best decision you'll ever make to choose a savior over a thief. Amen. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came to offer abundant life. And that simply means a life that you and I could not create for ourselves left on our own. Jesus can give us better. And so it's powerful to understand that the enemy of our soul in his desire for our lives is described in the same way Barabbas was, that he is a thief. Much like the crowd in our text, we know that the devil is a thief. We know what he is capable of. He has stolen from us. He has hurt our families. He has assaulted our, li- our lives with his lies and his torment. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so we don't have to wonder what the enemy's plan is for us. And so today our choice is the same on this Palm Sunday. And it is the same choice that we make every day of our lives. What will you and I choose? A thief or savior? This message, though, is much more than just a call to make sure that we have made this decision in terms of our salvation. But this message is about devotion. And because of this, it applies to all of us that the crowd that chose Barabbas did not just know who Barabbas was. We know for a fact they knew who Jesus was. They knew him to be a miracle-working teacher. Some of them had even confessed him as king just a few days before with their praise and their palms. And yet, some of those same people were easily persuaded against Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. And so Peter makes it plain in Acts 3 when he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Peter told the Jews, Peter told the church, if you will, you knew who he was and you chose a murderer instead. And my friends, I submit to you humbly and prayerfully today that the modern day church can be guilty of the same thing that the crowd that day was guilty of. Like them, we can become offended at Jesus Christ for our failed expectations in him. We want a savior from suffering. We want a savior from persecution. Some of us, like the Jews, have recently really put our hope in the fact that Jesus is going to be our political hero. Make the bad guys pay. Avenge your church, Jesus. Show up and it'll turn around. I believe that you can, Jesus. I expect for you to do something about all of this. And while we may not go as far as they did to turn our backs on Jesus, when given a choice between what Jesus offers and what everything else in this world does, will you and I choose the Savior 
and his ways over our own. One commentator I read wrote this, if anyone knew what it meant that Jesus died in his place, it was Barabbas. He was a terrorist. He was a murderer. Yet he was set free while Jesus was crucified. The cross that Jesus hung on was probably originally intended for Barabbas. And so this morning, God would ask you and I, what is our Barabbas? What is the thing that we turn to instead of the Savior? Is it an addiction? Is it lust? Is it greed? Is it the constant need for the approval of others? Is it the thief in our life through bitterness and fear? What is it this morning that you and I are choosing over a Savior? Just because we witness miracles, just because we tell others what Jesus is capable of doing, just because we have in fact experienced a miracle, just because we worship him on Sunday and ask him to be our savior, doesn't mean that I will choose him as my savior on Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the days of the week. Will we too wave palm branches on Sunday and choose a thief during the work week? Will we lift our voice in a service only to deny him in our disappointment when the world doesn't change, when our circumstances doesn't change? Because the truth that I want to help you with this morning is that Jesus' priority now is the same as it was then. That he is not a political savior. He is not motivated by your temporary comfort. His main concern in showing up on this planet and every situation in your life is that your eternity is guaranteed to be with him. And so that is what motivates him. Every time that you pray and every answer that you get, Jesus has come to save your soul. We talked about it on Wednesday night as we studied the book of Job. That we're motivated by the temporal, but Jesus has always been motivated by the eternal. And so for most of us in this room, we've decided to follow Jesus, yet this passage and its application does indeed resonate with all of us today. This morning, the Lord wants us to understand that every day we will choose a thief or a savior. Church or unchurch, saved or unsaved. I believe this in a way that has burdened my heart greatly that the many details about this crowd that demanded Jesus' crucifixion provides a sober warning to us as members of his church. The crowd was not just made up of unbelievers, but some of the ones who responded to Pilate's contest for mercy for Jesus were in fact witnesses to the miracles that he had done. 
Some of them had also worshipped him as he rode into Jerusalem, affirming his posture on that peaceful beast, an animal ridden only by royalty. The crowd, much like us as the church, knew who Jesus was and knew what he was able to do. And so it is with those of us who call him king this morning. We've done that through our worship and our praise, and we should every chance we get, but we still must choose when we leave this holy place, when we get up tomorrow, when we get that phone call we weren't expecting, when we read that text that takes our breath away, we will choose again a thief or a savior. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me. It's easy to sit in a sanctuary on a day like today, on a holiday that makes us feel good and excited and cast judgment on the people that we're reading about here in John 12. How could they be so stupid? How could they be so short-sighted? How could they let an innocent man die even if they didn't believe that he was who he said he was. But if we're honest, their choice reflects the fallen nature that is in all of us. We need a savior, and yet we do not always choose the one that is. And so as we prepare our hearts for the week before Easter, I implore, I beg all of us to let the Lord talk to you about what Barabbas looks like in your life right now. And if you've never chosen Jesus today, we want you to have that opportunity. You can do it right now at this altar. But I think for many of us, we need Jesus to save us from ourselves. From habits, from wrong ways of thinking, from torment that you have tolerated for far too long from the thief. And I beg you to take some time at this altar today to choose Jesus, your Savior, in a fresh, new way. Choose Jesus over blame and bitterness. Choose Jesus over mindless scrolling. Choose Jesus over lies. Choose Jesus over the binge watching. Choose Jesus' will for your life over your own. And so I'm going to pray with you now and I would ask our pastoral team, our ministry team to be ready to pray because I believe the Lord wants to do something very important for those who would respond for all of us to prepare our hearts through this message for Easter. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to pray with me and come to the altar. Lord, we love you. I thank you for the power of your word. The details in your word are there for our help. They're there for our benefit. And so God, I understand 
that John and Mark and Luke and Matthew all worked together to tell this complete story so that we would understand that even if we have already chosen you to be our Savior, even if we've already put our faith in you, we can be like those people who had done exactly the same thing as we. That we can praise you with our lips on Sunday and deny you throughout the week as life unfolds. And so God, I pray for those who have not yet chosen you completely as their savior. That God, in this moment, you would open their hearts to see their life without you as it truly is. For the enemy offers nothing but theft and murder and disappointment. But you, Lord, stand as a shepherd who lays down his life for you want to be our Savior. And God, I pray for those, a part of this congregation, Lord, who know you. They know what you're capable of. They know what your word says. And yet there are parts of our lives that we do not fully obey you. We do not fully embrace you as our Savior because we choose things that are thieves Thieves that kill our peace, that murder our confidence in you, that pull us away from your outstretched arms. And so, Lord, will you come now and will you set us free again on this Palm Sunday, Lord? We raise our hands like they raise those palms and we say, Jesus, be our Savior. Save us from our sins. Save us, Lord, from our failures and the lies that we keep running back to. God, don't just save us today, but Lord, save us tomorrow. Save us every day of our lives until you come. We want that kind of relationship with you as our Savior. That's it. Just respond to the Lord now. Would you cry out to the Lord for yourself? Help someone around you respond to the mighty presence of God that is here. Hallelujah. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.